This morning, I trust it's going to be an equipping morning for you. I just, in my travels, I have, as I said, the privilege of traveling, and what I have seen in a number of places that I've been at is that a number of people and a number of people in these various churches are really trusting for God, particularly in the area of the supernatural, which is wonderful, which is wonderful. I pray we never lose that anticipation, that excitement in what God can do and will do, always do. But what I found is that people, generally speaking, are lacking in the foundational area. They're believing for something which is great, the supernatural hand of God to extend and touch and heal and save and deliver. But when it comes to some foundational stuff, just biblical foundation from which we stand, that's the stuff I stand from. That's the stuff that I'm grounded in, if you understand what I'm saying. There doesn't seem to be a great depth in that area. So that's what I want to do today. I'm not saying it's in this church, but I just feel that we're good if each one of us could have some understanding of some of the, some foundational issues that we can stand on, trusting, even is that wonderful word that came through Patsy, that he wants to put within us. So when our emotions are up and down, the word in us is strong and steadfast. Amen. So that's what I want to talk on today. And the subject I want to talk on is the understanding the importance of biblical baptism. Okay, not baptism, baptisms. Understanding the importance of biblical baptisms. If you go to Hebrews, you don't have to. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 1, Paul talks about the elementary or the foundation teachings. And he talks about repentance from dead works. That's the first one he talks about. Then he talks about faith towards God or unto God because it's faith towards something. Then he talks about baptisms. And I'll tell you why it's so important. Then he talks about laying on of hands. Then he talks about resurrection of the dead. And then he talks about eternal judgment. And I believe that he, baptisms is the link between the first two, repentance from dead works, faith towards God, and then there's a laying of hands. So before we're going to go lay hands on people and release people to be empowered, we've got to understand repentance and faith. Baptisms is letting that be grounded in us, I may explain. And then interesting, the laying of hands, he doesn't talk about any more foundational teachings, just about resurrection of the dead. Because once we lay hands on and release people, then the work gets done. Amen. That's for you and me. That's what we're doing right now. We're in that phase. So baptisms plays an important part because it links the two. It links what has happened in the first two to the fourth one. Amen. So it's important we understand what it's about because sometimes we just go through things but we don't understand the spiritual significance of it and the impact and the depth that it can have. So, let's put up the first diagram. And just let me say, baptisms is about surrender. That's the number one thing it's about. All three of those, it's about surrender. The surrender. So the first one, which we're going to spend a little bit of time on, the Holy Spirit comes and convicts the sinner. 
that was you and I before we got saved. He convicts, draws them unto the Lord, okay? Then the Bible says when they receive or surrender to the drawing of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit baptizes them in the church. Then the church recognizes what's happened, and they say, great, God has revealed who he is to you, there's been repentance, there's been faith towards him. Now we want to take you, the new believer, and put you in water to signify what's happened. Then Jesus comes and says, hang on guys, I have a gift for you from my father. For his sons and daughters. My father has a gift for all his sons and daughters. And Jesus comes to the believer and says, here's the gift my father has given you. Let me baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Now, it's easy to read it, but if we understand it biblically, it's a wonderful foundation in us. It really is. Wonderful foundation. All right, so, and when you get baptized in the church, the first one, you get baptized in the church universal. Become part of the family of God, no matter what country, nation, ethnic group, you're part of the family of God. But then God puts you into a local family. Because that's where we grow. That's where we nurture. That's where we rub shoulders. That's where you family. And you don't always get on with family, but they family. You know what I'm trying to say. They family. Okay. My wife got saved at a young age, 10, at a Ramakrishna center. They were all calling on these foreign gods. And through circumstances, she went to the person and said, what do I do? And the person came to her and said, I don't know, but just say, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. But meanwhile, they all chanting to other things and foreign gods. And, and she meant it with all her heart. And the presence of God hit her. And everybody's going quietly, um, and she just wants to start laughing and giggling and whatever, whatever. She had to control it. But that night, she had a dream. And in the dream, she saw herself on this island, and the Lord held her hand. And she kept looking to the mainland. I'm making it, trying to compact it. And she looked at it and asked about it. The Lord just held her hand. Fast forward 10 years. Was it 10 years? A little bit more, maybe 12 years. The first time she would put foot in a church that she's going to now belong in, she went forward because there was an altar call, but she was already saved, but she didn't understand it. She just, she just loved Jesus. She didn't put Jesus in the church together. The first day she came forward, she was in this church to gave an altar call, she came forward, that became our church. That night she had a dream, and the Lord took her to the mainland and let go, and she said, now with my people. That's how significant it is, people. Puts in local family, local church. Hallelujah. Amen. Because that's where we grow. All right. So the first event needs to become a way of life. Otherwise, it has very little impact. It has to become a way of life. Those scriptures are John 14, 17 says, The world cannot receive the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit will come. And John 16, 9 says, But the Holy Spirit will come to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Okay, I've just put them up there so you can see the workings of the Holy Spirit. Then, the first event begins to happen. Okay, and when the first event begins to happen... What actually happens is that you get born again. You become born again. That's what happens. But in order to be born again, you first got to start with repentance. Where you repentance, repentance from dead work, which is forgiveness of sins and a changing of the way you think. So 2 Corinthians 7, 10 and 11, biblical signs of repentance. 
Paul talks about worldly sorrow that leads to regret. Well, you, you're sorry because you got caught. <laughs> That's worldly sorrow. I got caught. Oh, I'm so sorry I got caught. You're going to do it again? No, never. They're not sure. Let's do it again. All right. <laughs> but God's sorrow is when the Holy Spirit comes and convicts you. Because He convicts you, it leads, you can go read it there, Paul's talking about, it leads to an earnestness in you. A deep earnestness in you to follow God. It will lead to an eagerness to put things right. That's how you know people have truly repented, because they will put things right. You'll go say, I'm sorry. That's what will happen. God took me back to a city of Durban. I got saved in Cape Town, and then he took me back to that city a couple of years later, and some of the people I bumped into on the street, I actually apologized to them for the way I treated them, even as an unsafe person. He just brought people across my path. And you guys say, I'm sorry. Because you're free. You're free. So you don't mind saying sorry. You're with me. And what indignation to sin. All of a sudden, you don't have a desire for that lifestyle of sinning. Well, there's an indignation that rises up in you. What it also produces an alarm. The Bible calls it an alarm. It's a reverential fear of all, of God. Oh. Okay? It will also produce in you a longing. A longing for Him, a longing for His things, a longing for the Word, a longing for the people of God. That's what it produces in you. What concern, a zeal, and what readiness to see justice done. Those are the signs of true biblical repentance. How many of you know what I'm talking about when you first got saved? Hallelujah. Amen. Now the beauty about it is sometimes in the Bible it's a present tense. It's an ongoing present tense. In other words, repent, and every time the opportunity arises, keep repenting. That's what it means. It's a continuous present tense into something. So it starts with an event and it continues. So that's the first one. Let me just also explain a little bit about the first one over here. So how do we know we got born again? These are the biblical signs of being born again. The Bible is not, there's never ambiguity about what God has done. There's never uncertainty. I wonder if I'm saved. No, you've got to know you're saved. I know many of you sit here, you understand this, but I'm trying to equip us. So the Bible gives us, if you read 1 John 5, 3, I'm going ahead of myself. The reason why John wrote that, he says 1 John 5, 13, he says, the reason I write this book is that you may know that you're a child of God. That's why I wrote this book. So if you read 1 John, there's places in 1 John where he says, this is how you know you've been born again. This is how you know you're a child of God. This is how you know you've been born of Him. And the first one is, you will have a desire to walk in a right standing with God. And there's all the scriptures up there. You'll just have that desire where you didn't have it before. doesn't mean you're not going to have some shortcomings. But the desire to walk right with God is there that it wasn't there before. He's put it there. You'll have a love towards fellow men that you did not have before. In a way that you did not have before. I've used the story before. We grew up in South Africa, unfortunately, in the apartheid system, which I was blinded to until the day I got saved. And then it, my eyes were open to it. It's amazing how you can live in a place and be blinded to something. It's amazing. Because we are, we're blinded. And when that happened, I had a love for the African generation, or man, or woman, or ethnic group. And I wasn't opposed to them in any form or any way, but I just mixed with my circle. 
then now all of a sudden I had a love towards them. So we started to do trips up into Africa. We used to go five or six, seven, eight, ten, ten times a year up into Zimbabwe, taking food and clothes and helping and going to people that were unreached. Michelle came with me, they used to go and touch her hair because it was blonde hair and they'd never seen blonde hair before. It's, it was wonderful. It's tough because the conditions are tough, you know, and then they, they play with their nose and then they rub it through your hair and stuff like this. And it's just part of being expected, preaching the gospel. But it was wonderful. My kids were young when they came with us. And we would go 10, 12 times. Then we went up to Kenya and we went up to Mozambique and we went up to uh, Zambia and uh, just different countries up in Africa. Why? Because God put it on my heart for the people that were less fortunate than myself. It wasn't there before. It's what he does. Then you will have a deep knowing and a witness inside you that something's taking place. You'll just know like you know. There's a deep knowing inside of you that the man Jesus about 2,000 years ago walked on this earth. And that man is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That man, they called him Jesus, he walked on this earth for three and a half years. That man is the Messiah. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Son of the Living God. You'll know that inside you. And 1 John 5 says that. You will know that Jesus is the Christ. Hallelujah. And then the last one is you will have an inner desire and motivation for things of God and you'll begin to understand spiritual things. You just have a desire. You'll have a desire for the Word. For me, it was for the Word. It was a deep desire for the Word. And I just started to read the Word and read the Word and read the Word and read. A deep desire to read on people that had lived their life for God and how that happened and what happened. And I had such a desire and a hunger. I still do today. And so that's why I read about those people because it's a desire that's there, but it's never fully satisfied. Hallelujah. Amen. So it stretches. You're all so quiet. Are you with me? Okay, you just all... Are you listening? Thanks, Dave. All right, okay. Well, I'm glad. Please. <laughs> I hope this is helping people. All right. So this is the first line. Sorry, if we can go back to the first chart right in the beginning. So this is all that I explained is the first line. That's all it is. The Holy Spirit came. He came to me at the age of 33. He convicted me of my sin in such a way it broke my heart broke me inside and all I could say I never I've, to this day I've never said in a sense the sinner's prayer but all I said was I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm, that's all I could say through the snot and trying sorry it's Afrikaans through the tears and the nose running and you know what I'm saying and I knew something had changed in me I knew it I knew it. I didn't understand it. I didn't understand what it meant. I didn't understand even that it was called Christianity. I've just been brutally honest. But I just fell in love with Jesus. And all these things, the desire. And so there was a repentance that came to me. And I didn't make the repentance. You can't repent, people, without the Holy Spirit convicting you. It's a gift of God, repentance. The kindness of God leads to repentance, not the judgment of God. The love of God leads to repentance. Amen. So, and then um, that's what happened to me. And I, f I had faith towards 
regard to what Jesus had done. And then at that time and moment, it's like a, it's a divine transaction that takes place. It's an incredible, it's, a, it's something that happens in the spirit. It's a divine transaction that just whew, takes place. He's rescued me from darkness. He rescued me from sin. And he says, now you're mine. Hallelujah. I knew the day before you were born. I've been watching over you. Now the time has come. Let me redeem you. And let me put you in my church, my people. That's what happens. The Holy Spirit baptizes you into the church. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. If you want the scripture. Amen. All right. Very important, that line, that first line. It's just simple, but that's what it is. The second line. Now the church comes and says, look what's happened. Sorry, Dave, I'm going to use Dave because I'm talking at him. Look what's happened to Dave. Look, how unbelievable. Come, Dave, we need to baptize you in water. Come, Dave, we need to put you in the water, and you need to come out of the water in the name of the in Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus. All right. Now, it's interesting. Jesus in Matthew, Matthew 28, and you'll see all the other scriptures are in Acts. Isn't that amazing? Because that was the outworking of it. Matthew 28. Therefore, going, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, you know the scripture. Go make, help me, disciples in all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay. So I've listed all the scriptures where people believed and they got baptized. The next scripture, Acts 2.41, it says they believed, they received the word Peter gave. They actually said, what should we do? And he said, repent and believe. And then he said, come, we need to baptize you. All right. Acts 8.12, Philip's preaching. Philip, the evangelist, is preaching. They get saved. And the Bible says, they baptized them. The eunuch, Acts 8, the Ethiopian eunuch. Remember, he's driving in his chariot. He's reading the book of Isaiah. He doesn't know what's going on. Next thing, Philip's here. Phew. Philip's transport. He just arrived Phew. in the spirit. Philip says, can I help you understand it? Explains it to him. He gets convicted because it's explained to him. They find water. And this is what the Bible says. And Philip and the eunuch went into the water and came out. And when they came out, Philip disappeared. Imagine that. Somebody puts you in the water, come out. Where's he gone? My, he disappeared. Where did he go? The Lord just transported him again. Okay, what I'm trying to show in every single one of those scriptures, this is the order. Notice the order. Repent, believe, baptized. Notice the order. Repent, believe, we will baptize you. Why? Why baptism? Because baptism doesn't save you. Doesn't save you. Baptism doesn't save you. Jesus Christ does that. You with me? Never saves you. Jesus Christ died on the cross to forgive us and rose again. So why? I believe personally because the first thing the Lord is saying when I reveal myself to you and I give you the gift of repentance and you put your faith in me now I want you to get baptized. I want to teach you obedience. Now I want you to go in the water and I'll explain this but I believe the first lesson he's teaching us is obedience. Whether you feel like it or not. No, I love you, Lord. Let me go get baptized. Doesn't matter what other people say. Let me go get baptized. One of the other reasons is it's an outward sign of an inner reality. It's an outward sign of you going.
going in the water and dying, Romans 6. And as you come out the water, you come in alive to Christ. It's an outward sign of you dying to your old way of life. And as you come out, you're living a new life unto Christ. Romans 6, 3 and 4. And Galatians 3, 26, 27, 28 and 29. That's what Paul talks about. You were baptized in Christ. And because you were baptized in Christ with the same faith you had towards your baptism in what you received Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you went down in the water, dying to your old. With that same faith, he's saying, now you're going to live unto Christ. And if you can understand it and keep your eyes on Jesus, it helps you overcome sin. Because you didn't overcome the sin to receive repentance. Jesus did it for you. You just believed in him. He's saying, now, in the way forward, don't try and work it out. Keep your eyes on me the way you did when you received me, and you'll live your life unto me. You're going to come out and live your life unto me. So imagine what happens in the spirit realm. I believe personally, me, this is me, is that when you go in the water and you come out, it's like you're putting on Christ. Like for the spirit realm to see, it's like clothing you. When I went to India in 1990, went up into a place in Missouri, it was the foothills of the Himalayas, and every night we had an outreach night where somebody would preach, and a number of these folk from that particular villages came around, and there were quite a number that came forward to get prayed for to receive the Lord. And we did this Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night. Then on the Friday night, what we decided to do was have a baptism service for those that had come forward. And in the week, probably maybe 100 people in total, maybe 20 each night, 30 each night, somewhere in that room, between 100 and 150 people came forward, some with many tears. When we had the baptism service on Friday, only about 10 showed up. Because now when you're going to outwardly baptize, it signifies who you believe and trust for. And I understand in the culture, it's not a critical that if they had done that publicly, others would have recognized it and they would have been shot their families. They would have been cut off from their inheritance. They would have been cut off from their family. That's what would have happened. And so it was a big thing they had to work through. And I understand that. It's not a criticism. I understand it fully. But that's how powerful baptism is. Just in water. Amen. All right, let's go to the third one. So now the third baptism is this line here, where Jesus comes and he says, Dave, sorry, I'm using Dave. Dave, my son, hallelujah. Dave's my son, hallelujah. Dave, the Father has a gift for you, Dave. The Father has a gift for you, Dave. That's what he's saying to Dave. The gift of the Holy Spirit. But Dave says, but didn't I get the Holy Spirit when I was born again? Yes, you did, Dave. You did, you're right, you did. But now you need power of the Holy Spirit to do what you need to do. Because you're not going to do what the Father's called you to do without His ability, without His enabling, without His authority, without Him. You're not going to do it. Even though you belong to Him, He loves you, you love Him. But He's got stuff for you to do. And you cannot do it and have impact without the gift He's going to give you. It's impossible. Impossible. Absolutely impossible. Because everything's a spiritual fight. It's not flesh and blood. 
So it's spiritual weapons, and it's spiritual understanding, and I need spiritual power to fight the spiritual battle. So I need the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so let's go to John. Let's go to John chapter 1. Verse 29, it says, The next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the Son of the world. So we've touched on that in the first baptism. A couple of verse laces, he says, And the man whom you see the Spirit, verse 33, the end of 33, the, the man on whom you see the Spirit come and remain is the one who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So John is saying, He's the one that's going to, He's the Lamb of God. Because of his death at Calvary, your sins are going to forgiven as you put your faith and trust in him. But that same Jesus, part of his ministry, that's only 50% of what he's done for you. That's only 50% of what he's done for you. Do you want to walk in the 100% of what Jesus has done for you? Well, he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and power. Why well, am I passionate about it? Because people, we desperately need the power of the Holy Spirit. And don't let anybody else teach you anything else. Because it's biblical. That's biblical. John 20, verse 19, it says, On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After this, he showed him his hands, his feet, and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said receive the Holy Spirit and he breathed on them the disciples got born again there that's where they got born again they were not born again before they were working under an old covenant but Jesus just empowered them like some of the Old Testament prophets and kings where the Spirit came upon them for a season then left came upon them for a season and then left and so that's what he did when he walked with them on earth. He said, I've given you power and authority to go do that. So he was putting a hunger in them. Now he's died, he's resurrected. So now their sins can be forgiven. He just appears amongst them. He breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. That's the same word used in Genesis or the same context where God formed Adam and Eve or formed Adam and he blew into Adam. He blew himself into Adam. Jesus is doing the same thing. He says, come here, my guys. And he blows on them. It's like he's breathing eternal life, his life, God's life, into them. That's what he's doing. Now they got born again. Hallelujah. So now they're getting ready, okay? Not quite ready yet, getting ready. All right, let's go to Luke chapter 24. Verse 36, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them. So it's the same incident, but now told from Luke's perspective. Peace be with you. They were startled and afraid, thinking they'd seen a ghost, and he said, don't be troubled, look at my hands and my side. Why he verse 40, he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. They still not believed because of their joy and amazement. He asked, do you have something to eat? They gave him something to eat. Verse 44, this is then he said, what I told you while I was with you, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Verse 45, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. In John 20, 22, it says, Luke 24, it says, their minds, their understanding were opened. How many of you know when you got born again, all of a sudden you understood things? Same thing. Oh, 
Oh, yes, now I understand. Oh, yes, now it's like the scales come off. It was right there before, but you couldn't see it. Oh, my, yes, now I understand. Hallelujah. It's wonderful. It's like you're, oh, yes, that's what happens. That's what happens when you get born again. You can understand spiritual things. All right. Verse 46. He told them, this is what is written, that Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name, beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send to you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So here are these guys, received the Holy Spirit, born again. Hang on, guys. Hang on. Don't go yet. Because you have a gift to receive. Hang on. That's what he's saying. Hang on. Hang on. As great as that was, your eternal security has been given to you. Your eternal destination has been given to you in your born again experience. But hang on. You've got to receive power from on high for what the Father has called you to do. Amen. Let's go to Acts chapter 1. Acts 1, this is beginning of Acts, is where Jesus appears to them, giving instructions through the Holy Spirit about the kingdom of God. Verse 3, later on, verse 3, it says, He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, spoke about the kingdom. On this occasion, while he's eating with him, he gave this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised. Uh, verse 6, so when they were meet, they asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They still didn't understand all things. Then he said to him, it's not for you to know the times or the dates. It's my Father set it by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria. So he's speaking to born-again people. He's speaking to people that have had the Holy Spirit breathed on them. He's speaking to those people. That's what he's doing. Amen. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. A couple of days go by, well, more than a couple of days, 50 days go by. Then the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly the sound, like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven, filled their whole house where they were seating. Amazing, they were sitting down. They weren't even standing. And that's when the Holy Spirit came upon them in power. And they just out in tongues and prophesied and are these people drunk now that you can go read it no they've been filled with the spirit peter said that which joel said is this that which you read in joel is that 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 is that he had that understanding all of a sudden and so they received power from on high so to understand this resurrection sunday the resurrected christ it's the inbreathed spirit and one of the reasons you get the inbreed spirit when you get born again is because John 1, verse 12 and 13 said that those who believed in him and received in him, he gave the right, he gave the authority. You get authority. He gave you authority to become children of God, born not of a natural descent, nor of a human decision, but born of God. That's what it says. He's given you authority. So the day Dave got saved, sorry Dave, I'm using you, the father said, I'm, my son, I'm giving you authority. You've got authority. When they walked with Jesus on the earth, he gave them authority and power. But now he's not yet. But so he breathes authority into them as children of God. The results is life, eternal life manifested in authority. Then 
Pentecost Sunday is the ascended Christ. It's the outpoured spirit. The result is a big a supernatural enabling and it's manifested in power. You get given the ability to do what God's given you to do. So let me use a simple example, and I'm sorry you know this, many of you, but I'm trying to equip. So what does that mean? It doesn't mean when you walk out, your power is just going to keep flowing from you and everybody's going to fall over wherever you go. It doesn't mean that. It just means that when God is asking you to do something, to witness to somebody, to phone somebody, in that moment, he's going to give you the anointing that there's a divine transaction that's going to take place that you're not even aware about. That the words you speak are going to be carried with something of God on them. So they're going to have impact in that person's life. They're your words, the way you speak, your personality, but it has God on it. That's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit does. So the people up here, Jen was singing, these new musicians and these led us. So when Jen speaks to me, when she comes to the house for a barbecue, she just speaks. She's doing the same here, but she's singing. So she's still using her voice. But what changes to usher in the presence of God? God has put an anointing on a voice box when she sings unto him. So it ushers in the presence of God. That's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit does. Because that's what he's called it to do at the moment. Could change. So it has divine impact. It has heaven's impact. That's all I'm trying to say. That's what we need the baptism of the Spirit for. That is, we go about our lives that there's an empowering from God's perspective on our lives to do what he's called us to do in the very natural, everyday circumstances of life. Amen. So you need to be baptized in the church, we need to get baptized in the water, and we need to get baptized in the Holy Spirit. And every single one of these, and why do we need the Holy Spirit? My opinion is, because it enables you to get the job done, I've just used my terminology, it's, he's coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back. And there are people that walk on this earth that don't know him yet. And he's coming back. And we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit to impart his message to others. And because it's to do with his glory. When he turned the water into the wine, it says this was to reveal his glory. It's to reveal his glory. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is never about me. It's nothing to do with me in that sense. It's not about how I look. It's not about my ministry. It's not about any of that. It's about His glory. It's about what He's doing. Hallelujah. But we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So my encouragement to you, dear, and every single one of these, it's a surrender. You bow your knees to receive him. You obey in surrendering. You obey to get water baptized. And then you surrender in again to say, Lord, I need the power of your Holy Spirit. Now, if you read the book of Acts, we don't have time because I have one minute left. You'll see every time 
that people believed they got baptized in the Holy Spirit as a second experience, if I can put it that way. Only Cornelius got saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit at the same time. It's amazing. Some people, it happens like that. But most people, they got saved, and then Paul came later and said, when you got baptized, did you receive the Holy Spirit? We don't even know what that is. And then he laid hands on them, and the Holy Spirit came upon them. Amen. One final thing. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not a once-off. What's the right word, terminology? Not a once-off. Your salvation, you can't get saved and saved and saved and saved. It's not a once-off experience. Because the Holy Spirit comes on you, although it's inside you, but it comes on you in the baptism of the Holy Spirit through life and pressure and circumstances, through pain, through suffering, through sorrow, through hardship, through whatever, it tends to wash off us. I can put it that way. It's like we leak. That's the best way I can put it. And so we need to come back and say, Father, that's what happened to the disciples. Remember they got put in prison in Acts chapter 4? And then when they got released, they said, Lord, we need boldness to preach your word. And the Holy Spirit came upon the building they were in, shook the whole building, and they were filled again. Same people. Because that's what it does. That's what Paul says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. When you drink too much, you behave differently. Okay? Your passion all of a sudden comes to the fore, particularly if you're a little introverted person like I am. Your passion comes to the fore. You do things you wouldn't normally do. Hello? You say things you wouldn't normally say. You understand what I'm saying? That's why Paul's using that analogy. Do not get drunk on wine, which leave, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because you'll do things you, don't, you can't do. You'll say things, you'll think, where did that come from? And they'll have impact. Hello? That's the analogy he's trying to use. I'm not trying to bring the Holy Spirit down. He, Paul used that analogy. And so we desperately need the ongoing filling of the Holy Spirit. God, just come and touch my life again. Come and fill my life again. Come and fill my life again. Because the oil in your car gets stale. It loses its strength. It loses its viscosity. Is that, a, is that the right word? Okay? And you know if you don't go change your oil, your car will work, but it's sluggish. It doesn't operate like it should. Oil represents the Holy Spirit. We need fresh oil from time to time. We need fresh oil.